We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater, throw into the end zone, touchdown! Samuel still on his feet, inside the five, to the end zone, touchdown! What a play! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded. All right, Panthers fans, welcome back. It's another edition of the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire. John Ellis, Billy Marshall with a game day, kind of post-game recap. What happened uh, Sunday with the Panthers and the Raiders? Billy, how you doing, bud? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good, man. Football's back. It's been fun watching these games and uh, you know taking a look at what's going on as we come to you on a Monday night here and checking out uh, this New York Giants uh, Pittsburgh game. And it's just great to have football back and hopefully uh, they keep it rolling. But we're gonna dive into the uh, Panthers Raiders, man. What an interesting game that was. Of course, uh, you and I kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of uh, how this game would, would look and feel in terms of scoring and an output. But uh, what are your initial thoughts on uh, what we saw Sunday? 
Yeah, sure. So obviously, I think the game script went exactly like we predicted on our Thursday episode with Marcus. Um, you know, I we projected take the points. There's going to be a lot of them, and both teams definitely scored. I was a little wrong on the uh, prediction by one point, but <laughs> if Joey Sly made that extra point. Then you know maybe we're you know talking about a, a Panthers push potentially. Yeah, right. But regardless of that. I think that there were some obviously some positive things to take away on offense. Uh, I thought the, you know the passing offense in particular played pretty well. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater he had a .23 EPA per dropback. Um, essentially, what that means EPA is expected points added. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime you're in the positive, that's a very good thing. Right. And per dropback, he was .23, which pretty good and. On top of that, uh, I, I felt that the running game uh, became a factor late in the game. Uh, you know, I wasn't too discouraged by that. I felt like um, sometimes you have to adjust. Uh, I think lost. I, I have to watch the tape again, especially all twenty-two. But it did look like Vegas was, um, you know, l- unloading the box a little bit, which allowed the Panthers to run the ball uh, effectively in that second half right. uh, because they had to just respect the. The pass a little more, uh, but overall, I think the game just went exactly like we predicted. A lot of points, and at the end of the day, it's going to come down to whoever has lost possession. Um, and in that scenario, it was the Panthers, but they couldn't execute on a call that I'm sure we'll discuss later. Um, yeah. But you know, outside of that, I thought it was you know a pretty good display by the offense. And um, yeah, yeah, that's sort of my big takeaway. Yeah, it was a fascinating game. Uh, 34-30 was the final, of course. Carolina came on strong in the fourth quarter with 15 points. They outscored uh, Las Vegas 15-7 in that final slate there. And, uh, yeah, I think we called it. I mean, it was going to be a slugfest. I picked 31-30 Carolina, and, you know, again, it was looking like it was tracking in that direction. And, again, that final drive we'll touch on later in the show, uh, the play call and the execution. uh, There's a number of ways you can look at that. But, uh you run down some of the stats here. You mentioned some of the EPA stuff, some of the core stats we're looking at here. Third down efficiency offensively was really good. Seven of 13, that's 54%. Uh, they were one of two on fourth down. So we add those up, that's eight of 14, which is not bad. Again, they put up 388 total yards offensively. And I think what really stuck out to me, Billy, was at one point they were plus 57 in the uh, return game ratio with Farrell Cooper. And you and I had talked about that, how long it's been since Carolina has been able to settle on a consistent return option. It's been since the Ted Yen era. And, and even then, it wasn't always consistent. And it's good to see Carolina coming in with some returnability, you know, power there and getting an advantage in the field position game. And we'll, we'll touch on that as well. Uh, some other things we'll go over, too, in terms of the individual stats here. You know, we talked about McCaffrey was a little bit slow out of the gate. Uh, again, he was under four yards of carry early in the game. Uh, he had 15 carries in the second half. And I think you're right. I was a little frustrated myself at the play calling, but after looking at some of the game again in the replay, and again, the all 22 will be important too. I think you're right. They did unload that box and it gave them some opportunities to, you know, get those positive gains with McCaffrey. They ran a lot on first down early in the game, which I'm not necessarily, you know, against, but I think, you know, again, it just dictates the coverages and all that. There were a lot of audibles by Teddy at the line. You could tell, he was uh, in command uh, from that perspective. And, uh, you know, Teddy had his ups and downs. But, uh, again, 
as far as the receivers go, Anderson looked great, I think, uh, very smooth. And, uh, yeah, so I think offensively we'll start there. What were your impressions of Bridgewater in his first start? Let's start with the quarterback position. Uh, again, very efficient, I think, played within structure. But, you know, there were certain you missed throws. That's going to happen. Your overall impressions of uh, Bridgewater in his first game as a Panther? Yeah, sure. So, obviously, I think that, you know, the expectations versus – what versus the reality essentially and for me i i think that we've discussed what we expect from bridgewater Mm -hmm. uh, many times in this podcast we've discussed it on twitter as well so overall i felt that he played within structure he made a couple nice scrambles uh, but i i do think in some ways that the box score flatters him a little more than how he played now again i want to be clear like he was perfectly fine and they were able to produce and the epa per play like i mentioned the other raw productions completion percentage all that stuff was pretty good overall in my opinion Mm -hmm. right but just watching the tape again there were a few times where the accuracy just did not was not really there and i think it's going to be discussed at nauseum, so might as well just get to it. That Curtis Samuel target, that was not an accurate throw. No, it wasn't. And it, it just go back to Cam Newton, 2017 or 2018. He was routinely like throwing those quick RPO slants. RPO slants, yeah. Very That was accurately. a staple. That was a staple of Newton's game. And in 18, you're right, looking back at the North Turner film, uh, the Baltimore game comes to mind. He was rocket firing those in, but go ahead, man. I, I agree with that. So th- there's this new metric, and again, I don't want to act as if it's the end-all, be-all, but it's called the completion percentage over expectation. Essentially what it is is it measures your accuracy versus how difficult the throw was. And Bridgewater's his CPOE, what people like to call it, was minus 1.5. So what that says is that his receivers were bailing him out more than at average. And I think that makes yeah. sense. There was another throw... Um, yeah, I think they were down 27 to 15 or 27, 22. I forget, yeah. but it, it was the, the dig route to uh, DJ Moore. They threw over the middle. The yeah. ball got tipped on the line of scrimmage and, or excuse me, it did not get to the line of scrimmage. It was nearly intercepted by a Raiders linebacker. It just went right through his hands. Unfortunately, DJ Moore was able to corral it. Yeah. So that was, again, just circumstances kind of, um, you know, helping him. Now, it, it wouldn't be fair to me to just mention you know, the negative, but without mentioning the positive, I, again, like I said, he played within structure. I was a little more impressed with his ability to scramble and pick up yards. Uh, you know, yeah. obviously with Bridgewater, it's going to be a scenario where you don't know what you're going to expect given his injury history. So that was a little encouraged by that. Right, right. Offensive line, only six pressures allowed per, per pro football focus. Yeah, that was uh, good. That was that was really good, and I, I'm just checking this now. I do not know if they allowed a sack. I think they allowed one sack. They had one. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. they they got two guys split a sack on uh, on Teddy. But man, that that surprised me. I guess in in a way it doesn't because I know the design of this offense is quick release. But even on some of the more extended routes, uh, they did a pretty good job. And the, one of the runs you're talking about with Teddy, I think his longest was a 13 yard run where the uh, they had you know a twins tied in. 
formation. It was a max protect. A lot of what Sean Payton did last year with Bridgewater and Manhurts and, and Thomas did not do their job there. And it broke down immediately. And I think he did a good job. I was trying to pay attention again. All 22 tells the story better, but I, you know, you can climb that pocket a little bit, make the throw. I don't think so. Cause those were verticals and he was pretty much flushed out at that point, but yeah, that was the run where he didn't slide. And that, that impressed me too. You know, again, you want to see your guy slide, but after what he's been through, he took a pretty good hit there and he popped right up. That was good to see. Yeah. Um, so just going on the offensive line, uh, Matt Parrott has played pretty well. I know he got blown up a few times in a run game, but overall as a pass blocker, um, he played really well in pro football focus, graded him highly. And that matched a lot of what I saw, too. I didn't feel like he was really allowing much penetration um, when Bridgewater would take a drop back. It was more or less Michael Schofield and a few times um, both of the tackles letting their guy come off the edge. But not nothing too crazy that we've been accustomed to over the years, if that makes yeah. sense. No, it does. Um, no, I think so. You're right. Yeah, and then I'll just finish up here with the receivers. Uh, so Robbie Anderson, he obviously had a really good game. Uh, you know, the big touchdown reception is what everyone's going to remember. But he did a lot of things that stand out. Um, the, a few of his receptions that came in the middle of the fields on intermediate routes did a really nice job of creating separation with his footwork and, you know, opening up an avenue where Bridgewater can deliver him the ball. Um, in addition to that, I felt that uh, McCaffrey... He might not have had your typical like receiving production, uh, but his EPA per play on receptions was 1.02, which is you know pretty great. Um, yeah. So I know you were kind of disappointed in how they were using him. I wasn't necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, and the reason I say that, and I'm sure I'll allow you to respond in a second. The reason I wasn't disappointed in how they used him in the passing game is because we're accustomed to McCaffrey this past three years running those Texas routes, which is essentially where he, you know, runs towards the outside and cuts inside similar to how Jacobs was used yesterday. Right. But for the Panthers offense, just structurally, it just, I don't really think the spacing works as well as you'd like. So you're going to see a lot more routes where he's going on wheel routes or design flare outs and screens. I think that makes a lot more sense me for me personally. I know You might not agree with that, but if you just watch the Saints, they do run those Texas concepts every now and then. But for the most part, you see Kamara like going downfield on a wheel route or you know just on a go route. So if that's the way they intend to use them, then I think that's totally fine. Yeah, and I think you're right about that. You know, again, four targets. So you look at the stat sheet and you're watching the flow of the game. And sometimes you watch it live. You get you know your live tweeting and you start to get into a mindset of, okay, where is McCaffrey? Where is he in the passing game? I think we've been so accustomed to seeing him out of the backfield. Again, last year, 100 receptions, but again, a lot of that is, is I hate to say garbage time stuff they did late in the year where they're just feeding him the ball, dump-offs and check-downs in Texas and all that stuff. But I think you're right in terms of using his positional utilization to open up other matchups, and I think that was a good idea for – you know, Brady, and I think it was always inevitable he was going to do that to split him out wide at times. And there was one play that I'd like to get your feedback on that uh, into the pass interference call. Do you recall that play where they had McCaffrey out wide and they yeah. got the P.I.? What, yeah. what was the deal with that throw? Now, was that it looked it looked kind of like a fade 
um, sort of like a sideline fade. Was it supposed to be a stop fade, or was that supposed to be a nine, and they just underthrew it? What's the deal on that one from your perspective? Have you looked at it? I I, I do remember that play, and, and that's what I was uh, you know, talking about just a minute ago as far as creating wheel routes and other routes maybe on the sideline where you're more accustomed to seeing running backs get targeted. And so that was a long, deep wheel route where they matched up the linebacker Morrow on McCaffrey and McCaffrey did a really nice job of creating separation. Yes. The ball was probably not in an ideal location, um, but you know, unfortunately the NFL rules, or I guess fortunately for the Panthers in this case is that, you know, they're going to give you leeway in those situations. So they got bailed out. I don't think anyone would, disagree with that sentiment no not at all but yeah i mean i guess i don't want to keep harping on it but go back to bridgewater and like i said i want to be clear i thought he played pretty well for the most part there were some deficiencies but you did see those deficiencies um pick up like you just said right on that throw and then there was a few other throws where he just really probably doesn't have the arm strength that other really top QBs have to fit it into really tight windows, especially right. down the seam. Right. Those are really tough and difficult throws, John. They, uh, they I mean, called him on one. The, the Raiders called out all verts. Did you hear that? They uh, did. And that, that was a throw to Anderson down the yep. seam where down the seam and they did not needed, really generate he didn't have the juice. Yeah. He didn't have yeah. the juice. It didn't come off the hand like it needed to. And uh, yeah, that's concerning. I mean, that's obviously, you know, Teddy's going to, going to look to make those shot plays I think in this offense because he's got Anderson and that's what he's here for but uh, yeah I, w- I was interested in seeing how they would design up and scheme up McCaffrey and after looking at the replay you know I, I tend to agree more with you than my initial analysis on that that you know yeah it, it four targets again on, on the stat sheet doesn't look great but the fact that they gave him 15 carries in the second half sort of offsets that and the fact that it was effective in, in doing so, you know, again, 96 yards through the air, 38 through the ground. That's a pretty damn good output. Again, 4.2. And again, that's a lot of that's the first half when they unloaded that box. Things got a little bit better there. Folks, let me tell you, this football season is already proving to be different than any season we've seen before. Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Whether you tailgate in the backyard with your friends, whether you gathered around with your friends here at home and your family and watching the game, I know that's what we do here in the Ellis House. Pepsi is here as the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football watching. And you look at the receivers overall here. You know, again, we've got to look at that game film because I can't really see on the CBS feed what's going on in terms of separation. But, you know, Curtis Samuel, eight targets, five receptions, 38 yards. Do you have any thoughts on his game from yesterday? Uh, I mean, I thought he did fine. I, you know, didn't think he stood out one way or the other. I think him and DJ had a pretty similar type game, even though the production might not match. And by that, I mean, is they both met expectations for more or less. Robbie Anderson, in my opinion, outperformed expectations. And I think he was probably, I think Anderson's probably like the only player on offense that really outperformed my expectations. And I mean, maybe you have someone else that's on your mind, but for everyone else pretty much played how I expected them to. McCaffrey, 
he played like how I expected him to. He scored a couple times, and he was running the ball effectively and doing what he usually does. Uh, he struggled a couple times in pass protection, but I mean that's just that is what that it happens. is. Happens. Um, Okung in the rest of the offensive line, they played it, but I expected. And same with the receivers. I know people are going to get upset about that Curtis drop, but I'm not too worried about. It. I mean, he, the, the, at the end of the day, you just have to learn what players' strengths weaknesses are no one's gonna you know i'm not gonna come in here and tell you that curtis samuel is a reliable pass catcher and he's not he's gonna not drop Fitzgerald. no he doesn't have that you know he, so yeah. I, I don't want any type of false um security coming from any from my analysis here so i i will certainly point out that his weakness of catching the ball is an issue but i also think you need to be fair in your analysis and that throw that everyone is pointing to was behind him <laughs> like yeah, it's it was very it tough... was not yes it was not a good ball and and i would put it down as you know 75 percent uncatchable i mean you know i did the analyst uh rich gannon you know made the comment and i think it's where a lot of fans get it from they hear the commentary like that's a catchable ball it's like you know rich <laughs> he even not the right way to he, frame he it, even you know? like preclude he even said the ball's behind him but it's still catchable like come on that's yeah. Well, so what is it? <laughs> yeah, no, you got to make that target. We're not going to be dead horse on that, but that's going to be a staple of their offense. And that's a big shot opportunity because he's got real estate. He catches that ball in stride and, you know, he's got maybe 20 yards after that. We'll, uh, we'll see if that cleans up again, the tight end production, you know, there was a lot of hype about man hurts. He caught one ball on a quick uh, little dump off and uh, carried people four yards like Thor and people got all horny about that. But, you know, again, He's there to block. He's there to, you know, do what he's supposed to do. You and I have talked about that. You mentioned Ian Thomas. There was one good block he sprung with McCaffrey, um, and that was impressive to see. Yeah, I thought Thomas did pretty well overall. Um, yeah. Run blocking, and I know his great and pro football focus isn't really reflected, so maybe when I get an opportunity to watch the All-22, that can, um, you know, kind of confirm some of my priors and get a better sense of, how he performed but yeah there was a two-minute drive late in the first half where bridgewater and thomas kind of grew into one another and they really um bridgewater did a good job of finding him in the middle of the field and that's what i mean by the spacing is that the panthers they they really like to use their tight or from what i'm noticed watching this first game and i don't know if it's a trend is they, they like to use either wide receiver you know they throw those middle hitch routes where he comes across the outside and uh, positions himself right in the middle of the field. Or if not, then you have the tight end do the same thing um, and just open up himself uh, in that area. Uh, So structurally we can discuss the um, spacing on that in the future once we get more data. Uh, But yeah, I thought Thomas did a pretty okay job. Um, So yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it did two receptions on two targets, 16 yards. But again, you know, the lion's share there was for the receivers and McCaffrey. And again, just to, one more comment on Robbie Anderson. You know, everybody remembers uh, Panthers fans out there. The Jets game from 2017 where he, you know, took two to the house. And, you know, I've monitored his game since then. And I did a lot of film on him in the offseason. And this was the one thing I was hoping they would have with him right out of the gate was an opportunity to fill sort of that Ted Ginn role. Not that they're the same guy because Robbie's got length, but you know, somebody who can take the top off and in that play, you know, again, it was sort of an, like Gruden calls it the Turkey hole in between two defenders. And 
he had the ability to not only, you know, get past the initial pass interference or the illegal contact, but he glided right past the attempt to tackle. And I was really impressed with how light he was on his feet there. That's good to see because that'll be an asset for them moving forward, assuming Teddy can, uh, you know, can get the ball downfield. And on that particular throw, which was not very, you know, deep in terms of air yards, he put it on the money, and that was good to see. So, uh, again, offensively, that's kind of an overview of what uh, what happened from that perspective statistically and all that. Uh, let's jump over to the defense and what Oakland – I'm sorry, Las Vegas. Man, we're never going to get that right. What Las Vegas is able to do, okay? So – Here's my perspective on that. And just like one more thing on the offense, just before we jump on the two minute drill before halftime, I was real impressed by that. I was impressed by how they managed the time, the clock. And overall the game, I was impressed by how Joe Brady got the calls in, how Bridgewater was at the line, 15, 16 seconds. Uh, That's part of the problem in the past has been with Carolina, you know, Hey, they're down to five seconds. They're breaking the huddle. We got issues. So I thought for the first game without a lot of preparation, that was good to see. But as we, Jump on yeah. over to loss. Go ahead. No, I was just going to finish up with the controversial play call. Before. Yeah, no, let's jump to that. What am I doing here, Bill? Yeah, so offensively, let's take one more look at what's going on. How could I forget this? The call everybody's talking about. Hell, I talked about it. I know you thought about it. The uh, fourth down at inches. Okay, so, you know, again, we all know the story. Uh, they get into a, I think, 22 personnel, maybe 21 personnel look. And they run the fullback dive. Billy Marshall, your thoughts on the call and the execution. So l- let me just take you back earlier in the game. There was a, I believe a, a second and one. I'm trying to think here. Okay, n- no, I, no, I can remember. There was a third and one earlier in the game okay. that the Panthers, they aligned up correctly. They s- spread the field out. They, they were in shotgun. And they handed the ball off to McCaffrey, and he barely got a first down. Like, I mean, barely. So, okay, yeah. fast forward. I think this was in the third. No, this was the fourth quarter. They're down 27-15. Um, it's second and one inside the red zone. Uh-huh. McCaffrey tries to run for a yard, does not get it. So it becomes third and one. Third and one, they do a fullback dive with Arma, and it works. Yep, I'm looking so at it this, right now. So this pl- th- that play call did work in a high leverage situation. Yeah, you know, in in this game. So let's just try to be clear about that. I don't want anyone to think that handing the ball off to Arma is like a disaster and it should never be called because it did work. Okay. Yeah. Now in this situation with the game on the line, you probably want to give it to McCaffrey, but I'm just trying to look at McCaffrey's production and short yardage, especially not goal to go situations. It's pretty average. Yeah. So I'm on one hand, I feel like, yeah, maybe you should give it to the, the highest paid running back in the NFL. And that's, you know, the, the logical move. That's the financial calculus of it. Yeah. They pay, they paid McCaffrey, give him the ball. And that's sort of a simpleton view of it. I think. And I'm sure they will do it again in the future if they ever face that similar situation. Right. But I'm I'm just not really. I was a little too emotional, like when it happened during the game. Yeah. Just thinking back <laughs> on it now, I'm kind of. I don't want to defend it, but I, I'm also just not going to get, you know, torn up about it. Too worked up about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it, you're making a great point here, and that's not something I consider, but I do remember the call 
you know, again, this was in the fourth quarter as they opened up uh, the fourth quarter. They were still driving, carrying over from the third, and they didn't get the uh, second and uh, short conversion. And they did line up with uh, Arma and got it, and then they went on to score. And that, you know, probably was in the back of his mind, Brady, that, you know, hey, we've we've done this already, and, you know, we can do it again. But, again, um, you know, I, I second-guessed the call, I think, like 99% of the people out there. Um you think there's maybe more creative ways to get a yard, maybe flip it, maybe, you know, spread them out. And like you said, give McCaffrey an opportunity. And again, you know, Cam Newton's gone. We can't harp on that. But Bridgewater, could he maybe get an inch with a quarterback sneak? Is that something that entered your mind, Billy? Oh, man, I'm not sure that's <laughs> yeah, I don't advisable. Know still... Yeah, I, I don't know. What's, what's, I, what's I mean, I'm not a guy get... call, though. I mean, what's your thought on a quarterback sneak call? With it, I mean, is it is it based on the quarterback or based on the center, uh, the interior line? What are the yeah, factors you're considering when when thinking about that? So, okay, good question, and I, I want to get back to Paradis because, like I said, he played pretty well in pass protection, which I, in my opinion, matters more than run protection. Okay, mm-hmm. but he does not really have the functional like strength to really get under a guy's pads and push him backwards he doesn't really have it trey turner is a, a guy i think of who used to have that just that brute like grown man strength well he will just like rock you. you backwards yep paradis is more of a technician he's a finesse player a little bit he, he i don't want to say scheme dependent but he did play well in the broncos outside zone scheme right before coming to carolina so to get to your point I just, I'm not really sure Teddy's that guy to sneak it. I think that sneaking is a lot more than just being huge. Right. I mean, Brady has made a career out of it, but I don't really think Bridgewater, you know, a few years off his, uh, you know, devastating injury should be in a position to do that. Now, I am fine if it's like a play action bootleg. I would be okay with that. Yeah, that that was what I was looking for, honestly. Out of that formation they came out of with two backs, um, and, you know, Norv ran this a lot. Mike Shula called this a lot where you uh, you fake it and you either you, – it's a naked, you could keep it, or you've got an optional. You know, Greg Olson would slip out a lot of times on those and be wide open. Um, that, that was sort of what I was looking for. And, again, with these tight ends as sort of the, the decoys these days, not a lot of attention on them. Um, that might have been the direction I would have gone. And given the fact that, you know, I feel like that line had a disadvantage on one inch. And you're looking at, again, at McCaffrey, going back to last year in the Green Bay game, go back last year to the Tampa Bay game where Newton was hurt and didn't have the ability to, you know, or some would argue maybe he did, but they chose not to let him sneak it or let him keep it or whatever. Um, They obviously just didn't trust McCaffrey to get the inch and they didn't trust the line to provide the push. And if you look at the replay again, the, the low man's going to win here and they, you know, Oakland died again, Las Vegas, Jesus Christ, Las Vegas did a great job in terms of penetration, in terms of getting low. Uh, and they just won the battle at the line. I mean, it's that simple. We talk analytics all day long. We talk passing all day long. It's a new game, but Hey, you get down to a point where you got to get an inch and I, I don't want to sound like a meathead here, but <laughs> at certain point you got to nut up and get it. And that's discouraging. I think to a certain extent, uh, moving forward, you don't want to put too much into the actual call itself because 
in the moment, I'm like you. I'm frustrated. I know fans are frustrated. We're putting it out there. Hell, I even posted just, and again, some of it's satire. Folks don't understand. This is where you'd like to have a Cam Newton around. But again, not necessarily because you just don't know. He's out there running wild in New England right as that's happening. And so as the emotions take over, you're saying, you know, hell, Cam could get an inch. Well, you just don't know. Things can happen. But with yeah, Bridgewater, I mean, I'm like you. That knee could buckle. He's got, you know, again, there's a lot of issues that worry me about him running that sneak. And I think people take that for granted. Yeah, just to close it out, let's just try to keep everything in perspective. This was the first NFL game that Joe Brady has called. Right. And, you know, obviously we know that he did wonders in college football, but still, first NFL game, you know, very weird circumstances with the limited offseason, new quarterback, everything. And I think they performed reasonably well, even if we did have some issues with Bridgewater's accuracy in some other areas. All in all, a pretty good start for the offense, given the expectations. I think so. Just close it out offensively on my end. What impressed me again was the ability to come back several times from a deficit again before halftime. They put together a drive, and then you get down two scores, and we've talked about this before, where you've got a team maybe that doesn't have the experience against a team that's a more veteran-oriented group, veteran coaching staff. I mean, Gruden's been around forever. He's got a bunch of veterans on that staff. And, you know, the staff right here has got very little experience. So I I was impressed by the fact that the whole group held it together and came back from a two-score deficit and took the lead. Now, again, defensively, which we're going to get to in a minute, uh, they buckled and things happened and there was a P.I. call and, and, you know, Las Vegas took the lead and the rest was history. So I, I was really impressed by their resiliency and their fact that their execution was great in terms of, you know, situational football in the third and fourth quarter. No turnovers, at least none that I'm seeing on the stat sheet here. Um, Very few penalties, no real fatal errors, as I would say. Uh, One half a sack uh, split two ways by two guys. Uh, Again, that's pretty clean, man. Uh, No matter how you face, and they're going to face better defenses. You know, Tampa's got a hell of a pass rush coming up. They got some challenges coming up. But uh, against an experienced team that's a very solid team in Las Vegas, I I wasn't disappointed at all in the overall. But, you know, 30 points should, should get you a win most days in the NFL. But again, it's an unusual season for Carolina. As we shift to the defense, Billy Marshall, you and I talked about this. We were texting earlier, kind of getting each other's thoughts on uh, who stood out. And uh, you've got some really strong opinions on one player, uh, Jeremy Chen. Let's start with him and we'll kind of work our way from the back to the front on the defense. From the secondary perspective, uh, Chen did have a very solid game. He looked good. He was active, making plays. I like the fact that they had him in that Sam position and they were able to get him in the box. And he, you know, to me, showed the ability to, you know, shed blocks at times and be tough. But also what impressed me the most was his ability to tackle in space. And like Thomas Davis early in his career, get to the ball with the right angle in a hurry. What were your thoughts on Chin? Yeah, I thought he played reasonably well based on what I saw in watching live and then in the rewatch. Um, you know, I'd like to go back when the coach's film comes out and get a better idea. Um, I mean, because I don't want to necessarily caveat my takes that it that I'm more. How do I say this? That my opinion matters more than someone else's. Oh, come I, on. I always spit it out. Let's go. <laughs> no, no, no. You're no, here the for reason your I, expertise, man. Yeah, no. The reason I say that is because pro football focus and I give them a good grade. And again, I know that a lot of people have issues with them. 
he but did not give him a good grade? No, they, he did not get a good grade from okay. Pro Football Focus. I mean, the All top... Right, well. um, I'll get to that in a second, but right. from what I saw, and again, I'd like to see the coaches film because you get a better idea, especially in sure. coverage, yeah. um, where you don't get that on the broadcast film. But, yeah, I think the, the one play that he made you know, in one-on-one space against, I believe it was Ruggs. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was just a textbook tackle and huge um, for him to just make that in space and really, yeah. and I, I think that forced the field goal too. Yeah, it did. It was a third down tackle and uh, again, good situational football making that play. And then, you know, I didn't really notice much else um, because again, there there wasn't anything that really stood out as far as right. um, you know a game changing type of play, which is what you notice more on the TV broadcast. So now, if I watched on the coach's film, I get a better idea maybe of what he's doing at coverage and what he's doing to disrupt certain route concepts or um, you know helping with run fits essentially. Yeah. Again, I. I want to get a good look at that uh, all 22 and that, that should drop tomorrow. We can really get a better examination of, uh, of where Chen was good and where he was. And from the naked eye, you know, on this first view, I, I thought it was, you know, he quitted himself. Well, again, eight tackles uh, or seven, one assist, which is a total again, uh, you know, tackles can be misleading because, you know, you end up in a situation where you're defending in the back seven a lot because you can't get pressure and there's a lot of, passes coming your way and that's not always, always a good sign that you're getting a lot of tackles but from from that level he is you know wrapping up and making plays so that's good to see and they had him in the box a couple times uh i thought burris was okay you know i noticed they brought him on a uh, slot blitz uh at one point when they had burns off the line in a like a two-point stance and that almost got home but again part of the problem here was you know, Las Vegas with Carr and Gruden's been doing this for years. Uh, he did this in Tampa for years when Carolina faced them back in the 2000s is how quickly they get the ball out. You know, did, did you have any thoughts on, you know, how that slowed down Carolina's ability to get pressure on Carr? No, in some ways, yes. But I mean, Derek Carr was super efficient in this game. Um, he had an EPA per drop back of point four three which is mm. really that's good. good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I just did not feel that the Panthers could stop them running the football or passing it. Uh, I just, I, I think my biggest worry with this defense isn't necessarily the pass rush. It's the lack of athleticism in the back seven. Outside of Chin, I just, I don't really see these guys having the athleticism to really turn, flip your hips, change direction, and get off a block and make a play. And that's just that's a little concerning, especially in a league where a lot of teams are using tight ends and running backs to create mismatches. Right. Yeah, and it's it's a contrast to see this. I feel like we're all the way back in 2011 again because we've been a little bit spoiled here watching some of these guys like Keekley, Thomas Davis, um, you know, again, there, there have been some gold standard type players in that back seven um, in terms of their athleticism, in terms of their ability to, you know, shed blocks and and get off the blocks and make plays and not miss tackles. And again, come up with 
plays where they can bait quarterbacks into turnovers. And, you know, again, I think the, the pass rush to me, I'm, I'm not overly worried either because I think there were a few times where they did some good things. And I, I posted one clip of Derek Brown that was impressive against Gabe Jackson. You know, he got mauled again on the double team in the run game. But, you know, it's his first game and, you know, there's a learning curve there. And obviously his pass rush moves need to improve. But I think from a pass rush perspective, they neutralized that pretty well there in Las Vegas. And again, Gruden's been doing that for a long time. Uh, so you'll get a better sense of how they look with a you know team, maybe like Tampa with Bruce Arians and the vertical stuff they continue to run in spite of Tom Brady being there. Um, that'll be interesting to look forward to because I know that you know more than any coach out there, Bruce loves his quarterbacks to hold that ball. So I think maybe they'll have a few more shots to get after Tom unless they really alter that game plan. Um, yeah, so Derek Brown was okay. I mean, yeah, it's weird because his bright moments from what I saw on film was mainly like coming in the pass rush. Yeah, but he kind of performed how I would expect him to in the past. And what I mean by that is the clip that's going viral right now is the clip that I think you posted and a couple others is where he just like really pushes back Gabe Jackson. Yeah. And we knew that about him because he has excellent functional strength. It's the issue with projecting him was how was he going to do when he's, you know, maybe facing a double team or can he beat a guy with quickness uh, does he have enough hand you hand moves to get off a guy's when a guy's like really holding on to him? Sure, yeah. And and this is just not a criticism of him. It's just I didn't really see that in film in college. No, we talked about that during the draft. I mean, that's exactly. part of the process. Yeah. Um, but I think his strength, at least his ability to just really push the pocket back, you saw that a couple times. But I think overall, it was, I mean, it's nothing to write home about for a debut. I mean, certainly he did some plays where he flashed, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's just one game. So let's see how we go, how it goes for the rest of the season. I don't want anyone to start using their agendas based on how they felt about him pre-draft this <laughs> or on, on Twitter. That never happens. Come on. Yeah. So <laughs> l- let's give him at least four or five more games before we're. Yeah. Uh, no. You know, yeah. kind of I, deciding his I, future. I don't have a PFF sheet in front of me here. I, I follow their work, but I, you know, look, I, I'd give him a pretty decent grade. It was fine. You know, it was, he did fine. He was a rookie, you know, again, coming in, They've got a very stout line up front. And, you know, again, what they do best, and we talked about this, uh, is, you know, pound the rock. And that's what they were going to do with Jacobs all along. But they did it in some unconventional ways at times. I I think they were running away from Brown at times. They ran away from uh, 53, Burns at times. And they were getting Jacobs a little bit to uh, to the perimeter there. Did you notice some of that? Yeah, and that's what I mean. The, the, the Panthers don't really have athleticism to move laterally right now. Yeah, there you go. They just don't. And I mean, I mean, let, let's not beat a dead elephant here either. I, I expected a little more from the front four in the running game. They just they didn't really hold the point of attack well. And I'm not trying to make excuses for them because don't get me started. The linebackers they played very poorly okay yeah they did they did um but 
at some point your defense line really has to help your linebackers too. I just felt like they didn't really do that. I mean, short. I didn't even yeah. notice he was, he was invisible. On the field. Well, he, he played was, 40 he snaps. Only had, he had 40 snaps, 63% snap share. I mean, that's that was a little odd. Uh, you know, again, I don't I mean, know if that's just the fatigue like issue. Said, because it, of... Zach Kerr was probably the best defensive lineman. Yeah. yeah. And he only played 24 snaps. 24 snaps. And uh, hey, how about YGM? And we talked about this. The, uh, have we got an official confirmation he was actually benched? I mean, was that something that actually I, happened? Or I, that I haven't Twitter? heard. Okay, because I heard I saw some rumors going around that he was. Like, anyway, there was a play that some are speculating. One of the Jacobs runs I just talked about, where they got to the edge, and you know, uh, and hey, look, YGM is a rookie, but he got completely washed out and didn't hold contain. And um, I think it was at that point where he sat out a few reps. And uh, you know, for a high draft pick, that's disappointing. That's going to happen, but I don't think you want to you know limit a guy to. 16 snaps in his first game when you invest that high of a draft pick. It's a little bit disappointing, I think, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's yeah. the right call, but I just, you know, uh, Weatherly was hurt, banged up in that game, from what I understand. And uh, uh, He was focused. the highest graded defender by Pro Football Focus, Weatherly. Weatherly was, okay. But uh, was he hurt? See, see, again, some of what I heard was he was dinged up a bit and had to come out, so again, we got to kind of get a good kind of uh roundup on how all that went down but yeah i just you know i think 16 snaps again we'll have to see why gm i mean i'm not giving up hope on him i think he's a fine player but um it's it's early on you know marcus haynes 15 snaps obata 14 nothing really impressive there um and again short with 40 brown with 43 burns with 43 and what about burns utilization i mean we looked at some of the tape from the replay here today. And, you know, I, our friend uh, Trevor Sikama was talking with me on Twitter earlier, and he was impressed by some of Burns's ability out there in open field, lined up as a linebacker making plays. But, you know, is that you know, they had that 404 tight alignment where, you know, they had three backers and then they had the guy squeezed in. Is that something that you like them doing, or do you just prefer to see Burns on the line brushing the passer? No, I mean, it was fine. I really have no issue with the utilization of players right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's a good time, Andy, to you know experiment and see what you got. I mean, you know, you yeah, no, game, I thought but... I, I thought Burns played pretty well. I mean, he certainly wasn't like breaking box scores or anything like that. But um, nobody was. <laughs> yeah, the and, box... and this is this is. I, I don't want to raise alarm bells. I just want to go back to. And this is not an issue just with Derek Brown here. Okay. Yeah. But this was an issue with Vernon Butler his first couple years. And Ron Rivera mentioned it in his rookie season is when he gets penetration in the backfield, but he just can't finish. Yeah. And and again, I don't want to single out Derek Brown because Bravion Roy, who's the other rookie, also had a couple moments where he got in the backfield and they couldn't finish. And that's going to be very key to their development is that, yes, they are getting in the backfield on these rushing plays, but they got to make them count. Like, we can post 100 clips of these guys getting the backfield, but if they're only getting, like, three TFLs, that's not acceptable. That won't work, no. You're so, right. yeah, these guys, whether whether it's Roy, Brown, Kerr, Short, this is to the defensive tackle room as a whole, okay? Because I don't want to, like, like I said, I don't want to run out, run off with agendas after one week. They have to finish. 
I thought they schemed some pretty nice things on rushdowns to really kind of create some run blitzes. Right. But look, regardless of whether YGM was benched or not, the front side of that run that I think that I pointed out on my Twitter, which I'm sure many have already seen, mm-hmm. he the the containment on the front side was executed perfectly, John. It was a backside where I have he YGM was like in no man's land and Devontae Booker just made a simple jump cut and he was off to the races for like twenty yards. Like I said, you know, we look we looked at the run fits from last year and it was atrocious and that that was discouraging because you know we were hoping coming into this you know again it's week one it's early but you know I think a lot of fans were hoping you know Phil Snow new attitude new scheme new ideas the one thing they know they have to do coming in even Matt Rule talked about it what a test it was going to be to limit the running game I think you can look overall it was four point three a carry but you know they were able to get chunks at times uh, you know nothing longer than fifteen yards but they did get him involved in the passing game as you mentioned with some of those angle rounds and I think they. Uh, that was a testament to, again, the, the linebackers just don't quite have it. Again, talk about the, the pass interference call by White. I mean, how many times have we talked about to hear Whitehead? And not to bust this guy's balls constantly, but again, there's a drop-off there from his predecessor, obviously. Um, and you've got him in coverage on Hunter Renfro, um, back turned and, and just poor technique. And that was that was a costly one, Billy. Yeah, I, I think we've, to hear Whitehead, according to Pro Football Focus, was um, the third worst graded player on defense. Uh, the other two, just to mention, were Corn Elder and Troy Pride. Um, right. I'm sure we'll talk about those guys later. But anyway, just to well, get to Whitehead. The, you know, he's the, Whitehead was just Mr. Whitehead was the guy that was brought in as the temple guy, right? That uh, sort of had the communication, you know, knowledge of the Phil Snow way and I, I was a little surprised that he's not the one with the microphone in his ear. That's Shaq Thompson uh, that came out today through the press conference. So, again, you're talking about communication. You know, I, I, it could all help. You know, again, I'm sure they're all communicating. He's part of that, you know, conundrum there. But, uh, you know, I, I, I was surprised that he wasn't the guy getting the calls. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much we put into that. But Whitehead, I think the value they fought with him basically they certainly couldn't have looked at the tape and said man this guy can cover let's bring him in you know he's he's a pretty decent run stopper at times but again i wouldn't say elite and uh he's a veteran they signed and again uh i'm I'm surprised they're not giving him more of a communication role in that defense even though sports had a break your business did not you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast unlike other sites indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring you only pay for what you need you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts plus indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere, folks. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Yeah, I mean, we can 
play hindsight, but I think you and I and many others agreed that this guy is going to bring you a certain level of performance, and it's just not going to stand out. Well, it's not much. hindsight; it's foresight. I mean, you and I called it. I mean, there's no shame in saying, "Hey, look, <laughs> these are sir." We don't always get this stuff right, and you and I don't always agree. But there's certain things, core things, we tend to agree on. That was one of them, and you know, it, it played out that way so far. Um, sure. But the PI call was just a killer, man, because they, again, they'd given up some runs and, and passes on that drive up to that point, but uh, they were in a situation where they could have gotten them off the field. And man, that's just a dagger. What are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? So, uh, from that perspective, they did end up losing the game, of course, as everybody knows. And, uh, you know, Joey Sly misses an extra point. You know, again, that happens. It's going to happen again, I'm sure. Uh, the punting game wasn't much of a factor in this game because honestly, uh, not a lot of punts from Carolina and that was impressive. That's good to see. But, uh, we, we touched on Farrell Cooper at the top of the show and I guess we can sort of wind things down here. How much of a, you know, advantage is that to, to have Cooper? Cause I think without that, you know, again, maybe they still go on and, and score on those drives and then put up, you know, 30 points, but, yeah, I mean, you can get some quality return yardage like that and good field position, you know, and you're in the plus 50 range in terms of return yards. How much stock do you put into that, right? Yeah, I, I thought that was probably one of the more encouraging parts of the game. Um, just his ability to really flip field position. That's not something we've seen. And wow. in our season previews, we mentioned how important um you know, special teams is going to be and what kind of dimension that this guy would add. Um, so instead of starting at the 25, if you take a traditional like touchback, you know, we're starting at the 36, 37, 38 yard line. That kind of really does help with field position. Um, so that was pretty encouraging. You know, at the same time, you really want him to be smart with the football um, because if, if he continues to do, you know, return it no matter what, you know, mm-hmm. special team gunners are going to you know, come really hard and that could lead to disaster. Right. Uh, right. Such as a fumble. So he's got to be smart with it, but yeah, overall pretty encouraging debut from him. In terms of explosive plays, which I categorize as 20 plus yards, Oakland or uh, God damn Las Vegas, John, come on now, bro. Las Vegas Raiders with three of them, uh, 45 yards, 29 yards, 23 yards. All three were passes. Uh, Carolina had one. It was the 75-yarder to Robbie Anderson. Everything else was under 20 yards. So, again, uh, it's something I always look at. It's a pretty core fundamental stat. Turnovers plus tur- uh, differential of uh, explosive plays. You know, we've talked about it. It's called the toxic differential. It's a Brian Billick old stat. And it's a pretty decent indicator of how you're performing, you know. And I think in this game, both teams did a good job of limiting takeaways and giveaways. Both teams did a pretty good job in terms of, uh, you know, staying consistent to their formula offensively. Um, it reminded me a little bit of what Bill Callahan was able to do last year to Carolina in terms of, you know, sticking with the running game and grinding them down a little bit. Maybe not to that extent, because I think they ran for like 250 in that game. But overall, I think, you know, you got some things to build on. This game went just about as much as I thought it would go in terms of the offense and defense. I wasn't surprised mm-hmm. by much, Billy. I'll tell you the truth. I just wasn't. No, and I don't think it. I understand there's some fans who are going to be unhappy with how it ended and um, some of the decision making. But this is a young team, and I don't really care what the GM is saying 
what type of expectations they're putting on this franchise. We can kind of decipher what we feel about this team on our own. And from a personal standpoint, I thought they did some nice things offensively that allows them to improve in the future. And I was talking before the game with, you know, I'm not Anthony Rizzotti who's a good friend. He writes for the Panthers wire. Right. I told him that this team probably reminds me of the 2014 and 2016 New Orleans Saints, uh, where they had a historically bad defense, but their yeah. offense was consistently really good. And I think this offense is going to be maybe not as productive as those Saints offenses, but I think it has a chance to be. Um, so sure. there's really nothing too much I'm disappointed in, just maybe because uh, the expectations were low on my end. So, yeah, I felt that it went pretty similarly. And, I mean, sh- We'll see how other games go during the rest of the season, but certainly some things to be encouraged upon. Yeah, I agree with you, and I get the parallel with you and Anthony made the parallel with the uh, the the Saints teams from the the mid uh, teens there. Yeah, though those are two good comparisons. I've gone way back in the time vault with the '99 Panthers, and again, just there's this difference with personnel and and schematics there. But in terms of the balance of the roster, you know, they had. Uh, a, a tremendously potent offense with some great weapons, sort of a shoddy offensive line, but enough to hold up for what they were doing with the passing game, which was, you know, the quick stuff, get it out. And then, you know, let these guys like Donald Hayes, Patrick Jeffers, Wesley Walls make plays. And they had Bianca Batuka and they had, uh, you know, some stout weapons and they scored 30 points a game. One of the best offenses in the league, Steve Berline went to the Pro Bowl. He was a veteran around Bridgewater's age, I think. So I'm finding some parallels there. But the defense was a struggle. And that, you know, I hate bad defense, man. I hate defenses that can't get off the field. It sucks. I hate watching it. But that's just where they're at. And I think it's going to be that way for the most, you know, of this year. They're going to have to continue to learn from it and get better. And all you want to see is as they climb closer to December, that these core guys that are in the lineup now are still in there, hanging strong, getting better, and improving towards next year particularly these draft picks like Troy Pride, uh, you know, Jeremy Chin, uh, Bravian Roy, and of course, Derek Brown. You want to see these guys continue to be factors and improving, not just for the sake that they were drafted, but they're earning it. And hopefully that does happen. Um, as we kind of transition to close out here, we're going to look to Tampa Bay in uh, a couple of days here on our Friday episode. But just some initial thoughts on what maybe you saw from from that game. Again, it, it's, it's early, but, you know, there's a lot of talk about <laughs> – you know, Bruce is already Arians, of course, is already in the press or calling Brady out a little bit, which I thought was, you know, pure Bruce Arians. But it's also something Brady's not used to. You don't want to make too much of that. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But one of the things I was concerned about from their perspective, you know, everybody said this is going to be a match made in heaven because, you know, Bruce, he's going to adapt. Trust me, he's going to adapt, John. He's going to change his ways. He's going to move that offense into a Brady type of comfort zone. And I didn't see it. I think they were still doing the same stuff they were trying to do with Carson Palmer. And uh, it just didn't look like a comfortable fit yet for Brady. What were your thoughts on that game? Um, It's really tough to decipher anything from it simply because they that game just got out of hand quickly. And I don't really think it was necessarily the fault of any individual unit. Uh, I mean, you had the pick six, you had that weird fumble on a mm-hmm. kickoff 
so I just think everything that went wrong for the page or the excuse me the box went wrong and those games happen I mean it's their first game first time ever playing together so I'm really not I know a few people who love delivering the hot takes they're creating their agendas now but for me I'm willing to give them a couple more weeks right. um, before I have like a definitive opinion on where their trajectory is going. Yeah, I, of course, that's prudent. I mean, they, just looking at it from the outside, you know, there's a long way to go here. I just was a little bit surprised at some of the things they did conceptually on offense. But, you know, again, not, not you know, the Saints are very good defensively and they have a lot of weapons offensively to continue to run the ball, move the clock underneath stuff. I mean, I was, you look at the stat line, it's, it can be deceiving, but you know, they combined for, I think 380 yards passing or something like that. And again, that's just where they're at in their career. Um, but that could change, you know, Brady could put 400 up on Carolina easily as we very well know. So I would expect the unexpected, uh, you know, versus what we saw from uh from tampa in this past game because it's going to be a different environment home crowd uh well not home crowd but <laughs> home stadium they're going to be pumped up do they have fans down there billy in tampa they're going to be uh I don't know, not, not for this game. not for, not this, for this, game. this game okay well you know again it's 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 meaningful i'm sure for for their organization to get off on the the right foot if you're tampa you don't want to go into i mean nobody does because your odds go down the crapper at that point in terms of uh playoff possibilities but uh what we're going to do is take a preview of that game extensively on Friday, give you a breakdown. Might even have a guest on. We'll see who we can get on board here to uh, preview that. Any last thoughts, Billy, from uh, the Las Vegas-Carolina game? No, not really. Uh, overall, a pretty clean game. They played on offense. There weren't too many um, before-the-snap penalties or any holdings or anything too crazy. So I thought it was pretty clean. Clean, clean, clean. That's the word we're going to use, folks, moving forward. The offense looks clean. The defense is a work in progress. And uh, the Carolina Panthers start the season 0-1 with a 34-30 uh, loss at home to the John Gruden-led Las Vegas Raiders. A lot to look forward to, though. Football's back. Hopefully it stays back. And uh, Billy and I will be back with you guys coming up Friday for another edition of The Roar right here on Blue Wire. Check us out on iTunes, everywhere podcasts are heard, Spotify, and we'll see you next time. Have a great night. Take care. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.